Howdy everybody, I'm Rob, and this is Figure of Speech, a podcast dedicated to the impact of forensics on everyone's lives, episode 6. Alex Lee. Alex, welcome in. Nice to have you. Hey, oh my God. I am just so not used to this kind of thing. You're not used to having uh, having your voice being recorded and broadcast to thousands and thousands of people? No, it's happened once, but I had a bad experience with it. So I'm just not, <laughs> I'm just not that kind of used to it. Um, but well, yeah. Alex, uh, I, I want to brag about you a little bit. So Alex, you've been my student oh, for, uh, for a number of years now, I guess. You, when did you start speech? When you were uh, in third grade, fourth grade? Third grade, fourth grade, yeah. Something like that. And you're yeah. now in eighth grade. So it's been about five years, roughly? Four journey. or five years yeah. uh, that you and I have worked uh, pretty closely in terms of uh, doing speech, going to competitions. You started uh, at a young age. You've been doing uh, all through middle school. You've been doing speech competitions. And uh, I want to drill down a little bit today with you about your experiences, not only with uh, speech, but also debate. You're one of the, the few people that I know that's been successful at both speech and debate. And, uh, and I'm interested in that. I'm interested in, in the similarities and the differences. And uh, and I want to know more about your story and what it's like to compete at the elementary and middle school level. So walk me through it. How did you get involved in speech? How did you first hear about it? So when I moved, when I first moved to L.A., right, from New York, actually, my mom was the, the first thing that happened when I got here. My mom was so interested in finding me an academy. She was like, we hadn't even properly moved in yet. And she was like, we have to get you a math tutor. This is like a typical Korean mom, Yeah, this right? is an Asian mom here. And um, we, we stumbled across this Wilshire Academy. And my mom um, really liked uh, this place. She, she really liked the math tutors here. And she really liked, you know, the dynamics that you guys teach. And um, I remember my first speech class. And I walked in. And there were all these people who were older than me, like mm-hmm. these high schoolers. And it was... It was just such a new experience for me, right? I, I hadn't even known this thing, this kind of thing existed. And I don't know if you remember, but my first speech class, I actually cried. I, I don't remember any of it because it's such a, a, on a regular basis, people right, are shedding tears. Right. But go ahead. I, I, I cried the first time because um, the homework was like a how-to speech, yeah. right? And I had like a how-to throw like a baseball or something with like the movements and everything. And I remember I cried because I didn't have the speech memorized. And you were like, hey, do the speech memorized. <laughs> and I walked out of that class crying, and I was like, mom, I don't ever want to do speech again. Um, the next time was actually a couple months after that, so I came back, and I actually cried again <laughs> that time. The second class, I, I ended up crying again because my computer would not connect to the Wi-Fi, and I did not have my <laughs> speech there. And it was in front of, like, 12 people, so I got really nervous. And I actually didn't continue speech for another uh, couple months after that, mm-hmm. but... I think the first really good experience I had with speech was when I gave my first successful speech, right? It, it, it was horrible. It was like everyone else's. It was not memorized. I didn't have gestures or anything. But like, like that round of applause after that speech, just it, it, it enlightened me so much because... It got you hooked? Yeah. And yeah. That, that's what I strive for every tournament is just that, that applause. Well, that's really sweet. Yeah. So you're, just, you're still trying to relive one. that first yeah, speech? Yeah, yeah. And it's just, yeah, that, so that's when how you, I got started. When you first came in, you know, to to do speech, now you say that I told you to memorize. I, I, I'm sure that's not the case because I've never told people to memorize off their first speech. But maybe uh, that's what you was, remember. Yeah, that, that might be when I, just, I was really young back then. Yeah, and how you felt at the moment of like, I'm a failure because I didn't memorize right. or something like that. I remember I didn't have anything prepared. So uh. I was just like. I was just like standing silently in front of the room. Oh, that might have happened. Yeah, you had the time going and everything, and I was like, "Oh shoot, it's not gonna go well." So. Well, and it was on how to how to throw a baseball. Yeah, it was on how to throw. What a baseball. about your first competitive experience? What was that like? What what event did you do? How did that go? 
So my first competitive experience was um, back in the fifth grade, I think. Um, I did an informative, so that was my first tournament ever. And I, I remember, like, the days leading up to it, right? I was would, this on the Loch Ness Monster? Was that this your first This was one? on the Loch Ness Monster. Okay. Uh, and, and it was a visual aid and everything. And I remember the days leading up to it, like, I was in the bedroom with my mom, and she was just sitting on the bed, and she had the, the paper, the script in her hand. And she would, she, would, she would, you know, give me the lines, right? And I would go through the speech with the gestures and timed, and she would, she would just help me memorize that, right? Mm-hmm. And it, almost poetically, like, e- even the original oratory that I'm supposed to do next week is, that's what I did yesterday with my mom on the bed, and she was helping me, you know, sort of prepare for that. But overall, the tournament went quicker than I thought it would. Like, like the first speech was definitely very nerve-wracking. But after that, I sort of got used to, you know, performing in front of the judges and the people, and I met really great friends, like, right off the first tournament. And I've been doing that ever since, which is just meeting people who share this kind of story, right? Share this love of speech and, you know, pain of memorizing and writing and, you know, losing, right? And, and winning and all, all of those experiences that all of these people have that kind of shared experience. So I remember that, that first final round of yours. Oh, no. And I remember <sighs> because I still it use it as an example. Yeah. Your visual aid was upside down. <laughs> The Loch Ness Monster, the, the famous <laughs> photograph was printed on the visual aid and oh, it was upside no. down. But you know what I really, what I use it as an example when I bring, a, bring it up in class was uh, that it was upside down, but you never skipped a beat. You saw it, you grabbed it. And I remember so effortlessly, you just flipped it right side up and just continued along with your speech. It was really smooth. And I remember going, wow, that, that didn't even slow him down. Right, that that's what it looked like. <laughs> On the inside, I was I was like, oh shoot, that is upside down, yeah. and it, it's it's weird because it's not one of those photographs that when people look at it, they immediately go, wait, that's upside down, yeah, because right? it's like it it's was just a little like a abstract. little thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it took me a second to realize, like, wait, wait, oh, <laughs> like the neck is like curved the wrong way or something, and I had to like flip it back over. I wish you could see. The, a recording of it because it was oh, so smooth in the way that you just flipped it over right side up. I think you you went up winning, didn't you? I did. I I, I think I, yeah. I, I think, think I you won took my first. first tournament there. Yeah. yeah. And I, I I have friends from that tournament um, that I I still know to this yeah. day, right? And I still compete with. And and yeah, it was just such a great experience because I experienced everything you could in a speech tournament at that speech tournament, which is like you know you fail something, right? You're unprepared and you mess something up in the middle of your speech. And you sort of have to improvise over it, right? Even though it is a memorized speech and even though it is a platform event, there are certainly things that you have to, you know, deal with as they come your way. And that just that applies for speech and debate, right? No matter how prepared it is. Sure. And I think one of the most important things that you can have as a speech and debater is just how well you adapt to those, right? Mm. Like people walking into you, right, while you're giving a speech. And that just shows how walking into your room, right? Well, yeah, I guess wa- sometimes walking actually walking, walking into, into you. you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I had a, I had a, um, I had a speech once. I think it was like SoCal or something. Uh-huh. And I, I was giving the speech, and it was like right next to the door, right? So the room was set up in a way there was like two doors on opposite ends, and it was at the front of the room. And I remember I walked to my first point, so it was like right next to the door. And the guy opens the door and it hits my shoulder, right? <laughs> in the middle of my speech, like I was giving a gesture and it like hit my shoulder and I jumped like really, really high. And it was, yeah, that, that was that was terrifying. I remember one of my first experiences. I, I didn't, I, I was competing in college, but it had been so many years removed from my high school experience that it was a different game almost, you know, mm. like I, I had just been so long and I was at a tournament and uh, 
and th there were windows above the door and there was a bench outside. It was like kind of a, a classroom where you could get up on the bench and I was so tall, I could kind of peek up and over <laughs> the, the door and see what was going on inside the room. And I was doing that and there was a guy performing and I just kind of peeked up and I would just kind of watch him. You know, I was watching right. him from outside and when he was done, you know, I opened the door and you know, he came out and he pushed me and he grabbed me and was like, don't you ever do that again? And I was like, oh my gosh. And I realized now I was totally distracting. Right. I was like up there. I think he thought I, I was messing with him. I think he thought I was trying oh. to throw him off. And I totally wasn't. I was just wanting to watch yeah. his speech. I was like, oh, he's a good performer. I want to watch this guy. And, uh, you know, I was like double entered or something. So I had to wait outside yeah. the round and, and I was totally messing with his speech. So anyway, I can... <laughs> kind of relate I, I've been to. <laughs> I relate to not only being interrupted but also being the interruptor. Right. Anyway, so uh, you know, you start doing impromptu pretty early on, mm -hmm. uh, and I think you started doing that competitively in what fifth grade? In fifth grade, I think okay. that was my second tournament. Actually, it was really? like the one after informative was an impromptu, and um, and you took to that like a fish to water, man. I think you uh, you've always really gravitated towards a lot of the limited prep events right right i I've, I've liked impromptu from the start i mean this is kind of a cliche thing but like the first impromptu speech i ever gave was kind of a mess i remember i remember specifically it was um you gave me the topic and it was mouse and i had no idea how to relate <laughs> a mouse so i sat there for two minutes just just not not writing anything and you said give your speech and i was like i don't have a speech because i didn't write anything down so i, I think like those kind of experiences, like where you fail to actually do the impromptu, just teach you how to adapt in those scenarios, right? Sure. Because you're never going to get a topic that's that you've prepared for, right? You're never going to get a topic that you've gotten before in practice. And it, it's just doing a lot of those practices and getting used to taking a topic. And even if it's a difficult topic to work with, working with it, yeah. right? Sh shaping a wood that's ugly, right? Into something really nice. And I think that just comes from doing it often, right? Well, I, I'll pay you this compliment out of, I mean, the hundreds of students that, perhaps thousands of students that I've taught here at the academy, I would, I would put you at the top of the list of students that were able to deal with um, difficult prompts and taking uh, really hard to understand concepts Thank and you. being able to break those down into uh, into a really nice impromptu speech. You know, I think that's a that's a real skill that you've developed. And I think part of that, mm -hmm. you and I had a time frame for about six months or so, I remember this pretty distinctly, of me trying to shake you and me trying to mess you up. And it was almost like a game. Every time you would come right, in, it would right. be like, all right, well, what are we going to do today? Like, how can you shake me today? Mm -hmm. And I think you recognized that it was making you strong at impromptu and i remember thinking this guy is getting really good through a lot of these shakes i think that kind of coaching on your part was was just so smart because once it gets fun for you right once doing an impromptu is fun and exciting and you're like oh i wonder what kind of topic i'll get next i wonder what kind of examples i can use once it gets fun i think that's when you start to really develop right and, and i think that's when you start to get better and it's it just comes with time and i've been doing it for a couple of years now and every time I give an impromptu, I get a little bit better. Well, I appreciate the compliment, but I think more than that, I think it's really a matter of your approach in not getting discouraged over difficult prompts. You know, instead trying to understand the challenge of that and trying to understand, okay, this isn't easy. How do I make this work? How do I make a mountain out of a molehill? You know, like how do yeah. I take something that is really difficult to talk about and now turn this into a full-blown speech? So. 
I, I appreciate the compliment, but I think it's really more a testament to your ability to make it work and always rise to the challenge no matter what every time. Mm. Um, I want to move out of uh, impromptu for a minute. I want to start talking about debate and your, uh, your, your background with debate. So how did you get involved in debate? What made you feel like uh, you wanted to start doing debate, in, in, not instead of speech, but alongside speech? I think it was... Um I mean, I, I never knew debate existed. I mean, I knew that, like, the, the collinear term was speech and debate. But I, I never thought about debate until I think I started doing a couple spars. Uh, I, I got into spar pretty early as well because it was a limited prep thing. You could do it really anywhere. You didn't really need to be prepared for anything. And I just really liked the idea of bouncing ideas off of each other. Like, I say an argument, and they refute it, and I refute it, and it just goes back and forth. And I think... One time in class, I was doing a spar, and after the spar was over, you told me to go to a debate class or something that you mm-hmm. were that you had, and, and I and I took it, and it was just so fun for me right from the start because that was the kind of thing I had been looking for. Like speech was great, speech was really fun for me, but that kind of group dynamic where everyone is working together, everyone has the same struggles, everyone has the same kind of problems and issues, and also experiences. That kind of community where you know you can go to a debate tournament and really connect with the people there, even before you meet them, right? I, I think that kind of community just appealed to me. And the idea of prepping for this war that you're entering, right, with and brandishing your swords and knives and everything, it, it was just so interesting to me. And that's a really morbid example for me to give, <laughs> but... Um, no, but there's truth to that. I no, mean, it's definitely right. a combat situation. Uh, you know, and, and you mainly did public forum debate. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've also done a, a lot of spar debate. Have you... Have you done other types of debates, like in camps or practices or even in class or anything like that? You did um, some parliamentary debate as right, well, right? I did parliamentary a lot. Um, I, I really, I'm not sure I did any other type of debate, like, outside of that. But I think the, the skills I learned in those types of debates really helped me to do debates outside of, right? Like, right? I, and I don't think the point of learning debate is to go win a debate tournament. I think it's now you have the skills to argue aside, right? To make an opinion sure. without yelling, right? And I'll give you a great story of that, which is I, I remember I was, I, I, I had just like finished a debate tournament, right? I had just gotten home and, and it was my friends, right? Calling and it, it, was, it was one of those things where you, you disagree with your friends often, right? You disagree with people and sometimes it's just hard to communicate that kind of thing. And I think my skills in the debate, right, in the debate area just really helped me control the situation and know what to say and know how to say it and know how to explain it in a way where I'm not being rude, but I am getting my ideas cleared, right? I'm getting my ideas across clearly. And I think debate just does does such a good job of that because it's a game that teaches you life skills and that, that are necessary to communicate with people and to talk with them and even have this conversation that I'm having you, having with you right now. If, if you asked me to do this like a couple years ago, I would not be able to form sentences even, right? I would have a ton of, you know, sort of ums and uhs and likes inside my speeches. And it's, it's just taught me so much over the years. And I've, and I've grown to love it and I've grown to love talking and speaking to other people. It's got, me in, it's got me into trouble a lot in <laughs> class. and Talking uh, back to teachers? Yes, yes. I'm known as the talky person. Like, whatever uh-huh. the teacher says, I have a comment about it. But overall, I think it's made me just a much more confident person. Do you think that it is, I mean, this is kind of a loaded question, but there is a, a flip side to that. You know, sometimes 
being so attuned with, with your words sometimes can actually hinder relationships. On the whole, do you think it's helped or do you think it's hindered? I mean, sometimes people resent um, somebody who is so eloquently spoken and they feel like, you know what, you're smarty pants and you're, you're not being real or something like that. Do you feel like that's happening on your, uh, to any of your relationships? Right. I Friendships mean, or otherwise? Yeah. Uh, family? I don't know. I, I definitely had that when I was first starting out. Like when I first learned about debate and when I was first talking to other people with debate, I would phrase every argument like, oh, here, these are my arguments and those are yours and I need to refute yours and there needs to be some kind of judge or third party who can decide who won. Who's right. Yeah. Right. And I, was, and I was just trying to apply the entirety of debate into life. And I think I, I've come to realize with time that like, like, for instance, uh, my mom and my relationship was not the best when we started out, when I started out doing debate, because everything she'd say, like every sort of, you know, um, scolding she would give to me, I would have some sort of comeback to it, right? I would have some sort of reason why that's flawed or why she shouldn't be giving me that scolding, right? Or why the scolding doesn't matter. I would have some sort of rebuttal response to it. Um, but I think as I've done debate more and more, um, I've come to realize that it's not it's not the debate format that I'm trying to incorporate into life. Mm. It's the skills that I learn at tournaments. And it's not necessarily my case or my prep. It's my ability to deal with things being thrown at me and to respond to them, right, in, in a nice mannered way. And I think that's the, the life skills that I've learned from debate. And, and it's a learning curve, right? Anyone who's currently learning debate, I think, has that problem. I think other people think, you, you're a debate smarty pants, right, who just wants to debate everything. And it gets annoying after a while for people, even your family. Um, but I think the more you do debate and the more you work at it, uh, the, the better you get. And the better you get, the more you realize that it's not the entirety of debate that I need to take into life. It's just a small part of it. Sure. And one of the, I think I might have told you this story before, but when I was first learning debate and I was you know, going through a lot of uh, debate training, going to debate camps and things like that, I had a girlfriend at the time. And she, she was a fighter. I'm not a fighter. I don't like to fight in, in personal relationships. Uh -huh. But she was always you know, just squabbling and you know, having these relationship issues. And I remember us being on the phone and her yelling at me. And I remember flowing her arguments. <laughs> and, and as she's saying stuff, I'm, oh, I'm literally man. writing it all down, flowing it down, letting her talk. And then when her time was up, so to speak, right. it was time for me to respond. Well, you said this. And she was like, are you writing all this down? And I was like, no. Yes. Oh, man. So, I mean, I understand that, that uh, you know, when debate seeps into your brain and you become a debater, when that, when that switch is flipped, it's hard to unflip it. Right. And when you have these kind of personal dynamics with other people – it can play out in really funny ways and, and you're trying to protect yourself and you're, you're, you're going, well, this is working in this, in this mm. field. So it should work in this field as well. And then you forget not everybody has that skill set, And, you know, you eventually have to live with people who don't debate 24 hours a day. So, yeah. uh, you know, how do you, how do your, your emotional interactions with these people work? Uh, and, and probably it's not best to flow other people, maybe, you know, right. keeping track of what they're saying is great, but, uh, you but know, not, you know, debate, it can be insulting. Yeah, to, it, to it can. And, um, I, I think like that, that kind of switch that you mentioned, right. And in, in essence, it's, it's the difference between, you know, getting addicted. Once you get addicted to debate, you have all these terms in your head. You have all these ideas, you have all these strategies that you want to try using in real life. Right. Because at a certain point, Debate kind of becomes a lifestyle. 
like the things you apply in debate and the things you learn in debate, you kind of want it to let you kind of want to let it seep into the rest of your life, mm-hmm. right? And I think the better you get at it, the better you can clearly draw that line between debate things and life things, yeah. right? And that's sort of like a Dunning Kruger effect, where you know the the less experienced you are at something, the you know the 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 more you think you're better at that, sure. right? Yeah. And um, I just think that the more you push that debate, and the more you work at it, and the more you go to debate tournaments, the more you realize that debate itself isn't something that you want to incorporate into your life as much, but it's something that you can be excited about with other debaters. Mm-hmm. But in life, you can definitely apply the abstract skills that you learn and not necessarily the concrete debate terms. I, I think there's a lot of truth to what you just said. Um, I'm interested in how you, uh, how did you start doing with debate? I mean, you you had a few different debate partners over the over the years, mm-hmm. and and I'm interested in your relationships with some of those those partners and how you feel like you you fared and you know doing a all, all sorts of different types of of speaker positions. Uh, I do want to comment on one thing that you just said. You know, we're talking about the difference between debate being life. When I teach debate, mm-hmm. one of the things that I try to begin by saying the very first thing I say <laughs> right. is debate is a game, and I try to make I that clear. That. That's the very first thing I always say, mm-hmm. and we, we're going to learn to play a game. And some people do cross that line. It's no longer a game. It's now life. And I feel like um, it takes a lot of work to move to the next level where you can start to see it as a game again. Like You start out as game, you move into life, and then the really good debaters are able to step back and go, no, it's just a game. Yeah. You know, and they're able to kind of turn that off and go, that was fun for a while. Let's do other things in life. Right. And and take some of those skill sets with you and play other games, but it is just a a game ultimately. But I want to talk about your uh, your debate partners and your uh, your debate experiences. So what was that like? You know, you you've been rebuttal speaker most of the time. I have. Yeah. Um, I think definitely your relationship with your partner in, in any sort of even not, not in not just in debate, but in life in general, like your relationship with other people who you kind of are tethered to, mm-hmm. is really important because. The more you are rude and disapproving of that person, that kind of drags you down too. And I think I really learned teamwork and debate and, and group work and being able to work with others and compliment them and point out their, you know, subtleties and things that they can improve on while being nice, right? And while being kind to them. Uh, I remember one of my first debate partners ever. It was it was more of a friend thing. Like like I knew him and I, and he was one of my best friends, so we were like hey, there's this public forum thing that I'm doing. Uh, you want to come to my class and be a partner? And I remember the resolution was um, U.S. should abolish the penny. And I, and I know that that's mm-hmm. one of the resolutions that you use in like beginner public forum. And I think that's a really great resolution because there's a lot of obvious pro-arguments and con-arguments and rebuttals to that. Yeah, I think most people don't know. I mean, most students don't know the con side of it. They're like, why would right. we ever want to get rid of the penny? And then you start right. doing research, research and you're going, why would we ever want to keep the penny? <laughs> the whole viewpoint starts to change. But go ahead. And that, that, that's also, uh, I want to touch on what one thing you said. And that's also like, that's also one of the great things about debate is that you think you know everything about a topic, mm-hmm. right? You, you're given a topic and you think you know everything about basketball players and you think you know everything about North and South Korea. But once you start doing that research, your opinion can get widely flipped sometimes. Uh, but anyway, going back to um, my, my relationship with my first debate partner, it, it was mainly like a back and forth thing. Like we, we had a lot of banter that we had with each other. I would, you know, bounce an idea off of him and he would bounce an idea off of me. And I think that kind of relationship, like I knew from the start what I had to do with my debate partner to really succeed. 
and that that's just that that just comes from you know being able to respect them and help it and help them right and realize that they can help you right and and i think that that first debate experience that public forum that that first public forum round we had about the penny resolution that we just messed up cuz i i also remember we we i think we switched sides or something like we messed up the sides halfway but I think like we meaning were, you were on the on the pro side, yeah, yeah, yeah. you were debating on the con side, and then or, we said like okay. con or something, and yeah, it was just a mess. But the days leading up to that, we were calling each other, right? And we were, you know, we were at our computers and we were writing arguments, and we were like, hey, here's like an attention getter we can use, or here, here here's a nice way to end something. Yeah. Right? And I think even today, my relationship with my debate partners is like, like one of the best parts about debate for me is, con- like calling your debate partner and connecting with them and I, I used to um i used to have a debate partner actually who i would just call all night and it would I, I would sit in front of my computer and they would sit in front of their computer and we would go on these like long like five hour calls from like 8 p.m to like one in the morning and it would just be such a great experience because we were tired and we weren't really getting any work done but it was just like we, we, were, we both had one goal, right? And we both knew everyone else who was entering the tournament was doing that kind of thing. And that kind of shared experience and shared desire just really connects me to my debate partner, right? That, that idea of we both want to finish this and we both want to prepare this and let's just both have fun while we're at it. Mm. So and in, in essence, that goes back to what you were saying earlier about how debate's a game and how you should have fun while doing it without getting stressed. And I think... A lot of people, when they first start debate, can get stressed, but I think um, having a partner who you can have fun with, right, and and have all these little inside jokes and become best friends with through debate is really important in actually succeeding. Have you had any really difficult topics, like any uh, difficult resolutions that were hard for you to get your head around? Oh, man. I mean, I, I always think that the the people who make the debate resolutions try to keep the hardest one for the first tournament just because <laughs> there's like two three months of prep and also everyone's you know everyone got back into it so now they just want to punish them with a hard resolution and um last year i remember i had a resolution about Unclose. it was a united nations convention on the law of the sea i still yeah. got it yeah and i i remember i didn't know what it was for like the first two months of sure. research like i could not explain it to you um but I think even those hard eggs to crack, you just have to do enough research. And essentially, um, at the end, you'll, you'll be able to understand it. I remember we, we had the little talks in class, right? And we didn't, really, we didn't even get started debating until like the last week before the tournament. And that kind of resolution taught me that it's, it's really research that's important in debate. You can't get down to writing arguments immediately and you can't you know, start to do that before you actually understand the topic. And... Understanding the topic also helps you improvise, right? In the middle of the debate, when someone asks you something, you're, you're able to, you know, really explain that fully. And that was just such an annoying topic for me. And yeah, as a coach, it was really miserable, too, because <laughs> we had all these new students who walk oh, in, and yeah. the, the resolution is a mile long. It's very, very wordy, and it was, right. it, it, it was not... It was not an attractive uh, resolution to a new debater. It wasn't like, oh, yay, we get to debate the law of the sea. Yeah. <laughs> and I love like, those United Nations conventions. <laughs> right. 
and there were so many like numbers involved and everything right. and so many like specific details number of miles out to right, see right. and stuff like that yeah and, and i can't imagine how difficult it would have been for the judges to listen to that for six rounds like six rounds <laughs> of middle school kids going 200 nautical miles out to like i don't even know what a nautical mile was like i <laughs> like what it was that's not true i remember you looked it up Oh, oh, yeah, I, I did look it up, and I like I I knew what the conversion rate was to miles, and I was yeah. like, "This is the most useless thing I've ever learned." But it, it was fun. It was fun because everyone else was was you know suffering from the pain. If nothing so, else, it was memorable. Right, right. So, how do you deal with partners that you don't get along with? Let's get back into the partner realm. Mm-hmm. Um, with partners I don't get along with, um, generally I I just try to talk with them more. Like partners I do get along with, I. I I know what they're going to be doing. I know what I'm going to be doing. And we can generally keep a safe distance. But with people who I don't get along with, I try to call them more often. I try to text them, hey, let's work on our debate case. And I try to give them a little bit more freedom to do what they want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, I had this partner who just was kind of imposing in general of um, they wanted to do this and they wanted to do that and they wanted to write pretty much everything. Their way? Yeah, their way. And I kind of had to step back and be like, Sure, sure, you can write like the basics of it, and and it's it was at the end of the day it was a compromise that we reached where I had to be like you can write the arguments, you can write the the basic content, but I would be able to change it to fit my style and whatnot. And I think with partners you don't agree with, you just have to find a way to deal with each other, mm-hmm. whether that be through a compromise, or whether that be because you have to sit next to each other every debate class. Right. Yeah, I think it's just working to debate with each other. And, and I personally think that if you debate with a partner you don't like for long enough, you'll, you'll grow to like them. You'll grow to get used to them and you'll grow to want to work with them next time. And you guys will succeed the more you work with each other. One thing that you've always struck me as, as a student who, um, and if we're, if we're being very honest, you have been annoyed by other other people, sometimes your partners, and then you have been annoying to other competitors <laughs> and, and, and partners. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it always seemed like you had respect for other people. You know what I mean? And I, I, I like that, even though, look, middle schoolers, <clears throat> their job is <laughs> to be annoying, schoolers, right? Yeah. And, uh, and, and some are better at it than others. Uh-huh. But I, I've always felt like if you and I had a conversation and I said, listen, <clears throat> you're really treating them like dirt and you need to change that you would you would step back and go you're right i am and I, they, they deserve better than that and i've never I, I don't even really remember you ever treating anybody that poorly but I, what i mean to say is any sort of conflict that arose i remember solving it by just having this conversation with you of like you just can't do that to people and you're going oh, you're right you know mm-hmm. that's that's not the right way to act so i i've always liked that um and and i appreciate that approach that you have toward debating and toward you know, your, your partners. Let's talk about duo for a minute. Oh, man. That's, that, that's a keyword for me. That's a buzzword. And whenever <laughs> you say that, it's just... Well, you're some bad memories. It's bad just, memories? Why? You had a the, killer the duo last year. memories. Well, I think you're, you're someone who started out doing um, more of the platform speeches, limited prep, and then you, you move into... Uh, you moved into debate, and I don't remember you doing a whole lot of enter. If ever, mm. did you do a lot of interpret at tournaments? Um, one of the things that I wanted to always be good at was interp. Yeah. And to this day, I I think one of the best things that a speech and debater can have is a killer interp. Like <laughs> why? Because I don't know. I I think the appeal of like a really good hi 
or like a really good DI beats like the appeal of a really good impromptu mm. or like an OO. Because there's just so much emotion involved in that. And I've always wanted to do interp and be good at interp. But I think I've just always leaned towards OO and impromptu and more platform related things. Um, as for the case of duo, I- I've tried duo many times just because I wanted to try an interp where I can get carried by someone because I wasn't that good at interp yet. And duo was just such an opening experience for me because I realized I could say things without actually saying them. Like in an OO, I would have to explain everything. I would have to connect that and say it as if I'm explaining it to a five-year-old. But with duo, I learned that there are so many creative steps you can take while giving an interp or while giving a speech that will let you just create a world and a story. Well, I think your your duo from last year, uh, I remember having this conversation with you and Andrew, your partner, mm-hmm. and at the beginning of the year, both both of you guys were kind of like, I don't know, maybe sort of, kind of. Yeah, yeah. And then by the end of the year, you guys had a, a really solid duo that was, uh, it was a lot of fun. I remember even right. just even in the rehearsals, everyone would try to pile in to the, the room yeah. to come watch, and they were like, oh yeah, I want to can you do it during my class's break? Like I'm in math class right now. Yeah. We're going to have a break in like 10 minutes. Can you can you do it then so I can come in and watch? And I thought that was a really cool moment here at the Academy, just that more people wanted to come watch what was going on. It had some magic to it. I thought that was really nice. And we just, we just, we hated that duo even throughout our practice. Like at the start, we were kind of like iffy about it. And then we watched the movie and we were still kind of iffy about it. And then as we like continued to develop the speech, we were still kind of like, this is probably not going to work. But every little thing that, you know, kind of uh, entered into place and everything that clicked, uh, with every one of those, it, it essentially created a, a masterpiece at the end. And it was just, it was so fun to perform. Yeah. Like, I, I wish I could do that right now again, because once a speech is fun to do, like, you'll do it more and more and you'll enjoy doing it and you'll actually bring your emotion and your personality into it. And I think that's what really makes a great interp. For me, I've, I've always felt duo is probably the most fun event. When you're when you're really hitting it, you and yeah. your partner are firing on all cylinders. Yeah, it just feels like there's you're flying, you know, and there's nothing that's going to bring you down. And I've always felt that way more than more than anything else. And and definitely, you know, HI has some definite highs. Right. But the fact I I don't know I like sharing with that that partner and having that mm-hmm. kind of uh, that riff. And you and, and Andrew definitely had that, you know, in the final round. I saw you guys at State, and yeah. the final round was really good. You guys were so solid and, and locked in. And not nice. even just that. It was it was a fun piece to do. I think it's also the audience reactions mm-hmm. are just so valuable because in an OO or an impromptu, you don't really get laughs or, you know, tears or any sort of emotion, really. It just depends on how clean you are, how good your topic is. But in, an, in, a, in a duo, which is the one me and Andrew did, um, it was very comedic. It mm. was really funny, and it was, it was really this exaggerated comedy. And it, it, it got great laughs from every round that I went into. And those laughs kind of fueled us a little bit, right? Like, if, if we're doing a 10-minute, uh, you know, sweaty duo for the for an entire tournament, we need a little bit of fuel in the middle. And I think the audience reactions and just our friends supporting us and being like, dude, you have a killer duo. So go perform it. I think that kind of really helped as well. And that's one of the reasons why I enjoy Interp is just because like the reactions and the emotions that you can instill in people is just really valuable compared to informing them about a topic, which I, I love as well. But Well, I think uh, I, another thing about just you doing duo in general is you had already carved out such a career for yourself in doing, uh, in doing limited prep and platforms and debate. 
and that's something I've always admired about you is anytime I've come to you and been like, hey, let's try this. You've always been like, all right, let's try it. It may not work, but I'll try it. And I can't say that for uh, the vast majority of the students that I've had. Um, Most of them, while great students, if I'll say, hey, let's try this, a lot of time it's met with a lot more resistance and, ew, no, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't want to do that. And no, that's that's not a good idea. But you've always kind of been like, all right, well, I'll try duo. I mean, I guess if you think it'll work. And it gives me a chance to actually coach and I, I do think there's a lot of value in finding your own voice and finding your own, um, your own pieces and your own uh, experiences and, as opposed to your coach foisting all of that on you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that sometimes it's, it's fun to see what other people kind of – what they would pick out for you, like a pair of pants, you know, like, like them dressing you for right, a day of right. like, right, let's, let's see how this goes. And I think you've always worn it well when – We've done that. Not that you don't have a voice. You definitely have a voice of your own and you've expressed <laughs> Loud that. Loud one, yeah. <laughs> um, what are some of the challenges that you faced just throughout your entire forensic experience? Um, I've, o- I've often realized that wh- while doing these speech and debate tournaments, at the start, you're really excited, right? And you're really riled up. And when I was in fifth grade, I loved going to these tournaments. Um, I think sometime last year or maybe at the end of sixth grade, I got a little discouraged from mm-hmm. doing speech and debate, and I would stop coming to you know some debate classes. I, would, I, I wouldn't be able to go to as many resolutions and do as many speech tournaments. And I think that just came from not trying new things, right? And, and I kept doing the same two or three events, and I, eventually it kind of got boring. Right. As, as much as I love... Maybe we're talking about the same thing, of like right, maybe you right. had this break of like, right, I need to try something new. And, and I think last year that was that was our duo mainly. Like yeah. I mean, I, I kept doing the same three, you know, platform limited prep events. That it was fun, but it was it was kind of getting boring after a while. And I think once I tried, you know, I tried speech to entertain at the end of the year too, and duo and all these different events. I was able to play around a lot more, right? And I was able to you know really express myself in ways I've never tried before. And I think that I, I was. I was bored enough that I could be like, sure, Robert, I'll, I'll, I'll entertain you. I'll do whatever you want, you want me to do. And it, it turned out really great for me because I was so used to doing this thing and this thing. I was so just, just you know, robotic in that sense. that I think, I think it's useful for any speech and debater to try all three kinds of speech, to try the new events that you've never heard of, uh, like, like, like the events that you see at tournaments. Like, right? like big the, questions? Like big questions <laughs> and, and sight reading. I, I remember I tried that once and I hated it, but I tried it and it was fun. <laughs> and there's just all these new events and creative things that speech and debaters are doing right now. And it's such an innovative time to be in speech and debate that it's important for everyone to start doing creative things instead of going the regular format for everything, right? Instead of... Yeah, you know, uh, you, you were discouraged. That was the word that you used uh, you know, this time. It wasn't this time last year. It was, like, I guess, maybe like January of... Yeah, it was of, later. Of, of, of 2019 or something like that. Mm-hmm. But it was... Uh, it, it really only lasted for about a month, I would say. And I don't know. I think you just... I, I think you got really frustrated. There were a couple of tournaments that just... Didn't kind of work hit, out. hit you hard yeah. and just man, there's like a one-two punch and mm. and it just you went stumbling. But I, I never you never quit. Uh, you know, even though you, you didn't show up to a couple of of debate classes, you were still coming to speech. You were still active. You were kind of just. I I remember you saying like I'm I'm gonna leave. I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna stop. But yep. I don't. Yep. You didn't. You know, you kept going, and 
I don't know. I think the the siren song of speech it, it gets you once it gets it your its hooks in you. It's hard to quit, you yeah. know. And as much as you want to, sometimes yeah, it just keeps calling you back and yeah. going, "No, nah, there, there's something there. I've got I got to wrestle some demons to get this kind of." And I think in, in in order to realize that, in order to realize how much you love it, it's, sometimes you have to back off for a while. Sometimes you have to be like, "Okay, I'm going to put this down for a little bit. I'm going to try something else. I'm going to mm-hmm. take a break." And only then it's like, what, what is it? Like, um, you, you don't know what you have till you lose it. And I, I was seeing all these people having fun with speech and debate. And I was kind of reminiscing about my speech and debate experience that I really wanted to go back. And once I started going back, you know, I'm still going. So Speaking of putting things down, I think you probably set the record for most OOs written that have never been taken to a oh, competition. Man, uh, I, have a, I have a folder in my documents and it's just like 15 or 20 OOs. <laughs> A lot of them fully written, a lot of them like just one-liners. And it's it's crazy the amount of different OO topics that I just come up with. Every time I write one, I, I <laughs> think of something that leads me somewhere else. Or like I, I look up a new like YouTube video that leads me to another OO topic. And I, and I hear something else that leads me to another topic. And I just, I, I've always had trouble with picking something and sticking to it. Mm. Like I've always wanted to like, oh, that's a new thing. Let me try it. That's a new thing. Let me try it. And uh, you complimented me about that earlier, but I think at a certain point, like, I'm doing it too much where I'm like, I, I have to settle down for a while before, you know, trying to do everything at once. And I think that really hurt me because I was, you know, writing all of these OO topics down. And if any of you guys want OO topics, I have, I have a list of them. <laughs> so you, you could supply for everybody uh, that's going to nationals I'll sell them. this yeah, year. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, speaking of nationals, let's let's rewind back to uh, your Please. 2018 nationals <laughs> experience. Well, tell me about it. What was it like going to nationals? That was uh, that that was your first time. That going was to my nationals? first time. That yeah. was my only. Time. That was 2018, right? Yeah, that was right. 2018. 2017. It was uh, in my sixth grade year. Oh, was it sixth grade? Yeah, it was sixth grade. I didn't okay. go seventh. All right. So, so what was that? That was in Florida, mm-hmm. right? So what was that like? It was. It honestly wasn't too different. That was, of an that experience. was 2018. It was end of your sixth oh, grade 2018? year. 2018. Yeah. Oh, it was end of my sixth yeah. grade year. Yeah, you're right. Um, it honestly wasn't as different as I thought it would be. Like, I thought it would be this huge tournament with a ton of people. But once you get there, it's really just another high school or college. And it's really just people that you've been meeting, right? The, the, the same kinds of people. It's only when you start to watch other people that you're like, oh, dude, <laughs> this is insane. Like, everyone here is crazy good. And I remember just, like, I, I, I was at a stage where I was, like, confident of, in my speech abilities. And I was like okay, I, hopefully I can do well here. I'm prepped enough. And I started watching other people's. I would, like, stay and, you know, because I didn't have a lot of events I was taking there. And I, w- I would watch. Th- there was this one kid who had an original oratory. Mm-hmm. And I would just give my original oratory, you know, you know with, with jokes and, you know, personality and filled. And he came up and he, he cried during his original oratory. And it was right before mine. So it, it kind of set the stage. And I, I had never seen that kind of thing before. And I think nationals is just a no, great. When you place say he cried, like, he cried because he was so nervous, or he cried as part of his. No, no, no. He cried every round, and there were like what six or seven rounds at nationals. So that's a lot of crying. That he had to so do. it was like it was, he got so emotional. He cried. Yeah. No, it was part of his OO. I think. Okay. Yeah, and he had this thing where like he had like he built a website to support this like huge cause or something, and uh. he said we could talk to him after the round. And I was like, dude, dude, I I'm like giving a speech on golf courses, and you have like this insane website built, and. I think nationals is just such a great place to see people doing different things, yeah. right? Watch different kinds of speeches and get just just influenced, right? And and just really start to 
be like those people. To be inspired? Yeah, to be inspired. That's the word. To, to just, it, it's a great place for inspiration. Cool. What about this year? What what kind of challenges do you expect for the? Are you going back to nationals this year? I hopefully am. Okay. And um, I'm really excited because I, I did have to unfortunately miss out on my seventh grade year due to complications. Mm-hmm. And um, this year I'm 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 just so stoked to go back and meet all the different kinds of people I met because the people I met at Nats in sixth grade I still connect with, uh, like like Michelle and 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 Madeline and all all the other people I met at nationals. By the way, if you're listening to this, um, I, I still DM them on Instagram. I still text them. I still connect with them. And we still share that speech experience and that memory. And I, I, I'm so excited for the different kind of people I'll meet this year and the friends I'll be going with and the kind of experiences I'll have. That's great. What, uh, any ideas what events you're planning on taking? I want to do something different. It's like, it's like my last year, right? And I want to take something solid and, and new and I want to – because it's like going to be my last middle school tournament, I want to finish with a blast, right? Uh. And uh, that's why I'm thinking of really trying different things this this school year, and, and you know, taking different kinds of events, taking new events, taking events I haven't tried, um, just so I can build something up, and then hopefully take it to Nats and like like an interv. I'm kind of looking at just because I love the experience in the final round. I, uh, last year's duo, I really wanted to experience in final round. Yeah, because we at the end we had a fight scene and everything. And that would just look so epic on stage. So that kind of emotion-inducing speech, I, I, I'm, I'm so excited for. Cool, man. I'm, I'm, I'm digging it. I hope it, uh, <laughs> hope it goes well for you. All right. So uh, you're familiar with this podcast. And towards the end of the podcast, we have a bunch of survey questions. Oh. This is uh, in keeping with um, yeah, inside the actor studio, James Lipton and Marcel Prost and uh, Pivot. So I've got 10 questions, survey questions I'm going to ask you. Yep. So let's start with the final round. Question number one. Were you superstitious? I was. Or are you superstitious? I, I mean, <laughs> I was. Um, I mean, you have a tournament this weekend. What superstitions true, are you going to. That's true. I would, yeah, I would think about whether I'm going to be confident or not. And, and, but my mom was always kind of a superstitious person. In she what was, way? Uh, she's Christian and she has all these, like, she, she has American superstitions, even though she doesn't even know American superstitions. <laughs> she would, like, she would, she would knock on wood yeah. or whatever, whenever, whenever she wanted to be lucky. She would. Like, oh, oh, there's this great story. Um, whenever we go to a speech tournament, in the morning of that speech tournament, something bad would always happen. Like, something little bad would always happen. Like, for, for one speech tournament, I remember we, we drove the car out of the parking lot with the hood up, and the hood kind of scratched the top, the roof. The hood? Like, like the back. Like oh, the, the trunk? The trunk. The okay. Tr- okay the, yes, the trunk. I was like, how, um, are, you, how are you driving <laughs> with the hood open? The hood's the front. Oh, oh yeah. All oh, right. The trunk. <laughs> <laughs> the trunk like grazed the top and another morning i remember like we we totally forgot like my shoes or something so we had to like drive all the way back home and another time they they surrounded our building with like roadblocks so we couldn't get out we had to like look for a way to get like out the police surrounded yeah, your building? yeah yeah because we had like they had a mexican parade or something outside of our building so we had to like kind of find our way out and my mom always thinks that those kinds of bad things lead me to do good well or well at a speech tournament um, but I've never believed in superstitions just because I, I like to think of myself as logical. And I, I like to think that superstitions are, you know, just a psychological thing where, sure. yeah, if one thing leads to another, you assume one thing caused another. But I, yeah, I've never been superstitious or religious in any sense. All right. Question number two Who was the competitor you most admired? <sighs> so 
the competitor I, I, I probably most admired was someone I actually never competed against. And um, that was Alex Chan. If yeah. You were, yeah, he, he, I, 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 the only time I watched him was, I think, in my fifth grade state experience. Mm-hmm. I went to middle school state in fifth grade. Didn't break in anything, but it was great. <laughs> but it was great. And I watched his impromptu and HI finals. And he was just the type of speaker I wanted to be. He had, like, everything prepped. He had this huge smile plastered on his face. And he had just the funniest jokes and the funniest lines. And he, had, he was just such a good speaker. And he controlled the room so well. And he was a great, he was a great speech and debater, too. And I, I admired him for the longest time. And I still admire him today. And I, I only got to experience watching him a couple of times. But I, I really... Really enjoyed that. Oh, that's sweet. I, I bet he'd be uh, surprised and, and flattered to know that. And it's my namesake, too. So I guess, <laughs> yeah, I kind of live up to that. Uh, question number three. What's the most memorable speech you've seen? The most memorable speech I've seen is it's, it's probably going to be the, the, in our Nationals final round. Um, there, was the, there was a girl, uh, McKinsey, I think. McKinsey At Paltic. Nationals? At Nationals, yeah, when I was in sixth grade. And it was impromptu finals, and she ended up winning impromptu finals. Mm-hmm. And I remember, like, she had, she seemed to have no stage nerves or fright at all. I'm sure in her mind she was, she was scared and nervous, but she controlled herself so well as if it was just like a room full of three or four people. And she, she just inspired me so much because she had such a clean speech. She didn't seem nervous at all, and it, it just, it was a solid impromptu. It was a solid impromptu speech, and that was probably one of the best ones I've ever seen. Wow. And that just inspires me because I consider my main event to be impromptu, and that's the kind of speech I want to give every time. And that was just so demanding, so controlling of the room, and she gave such great points and you know, funny lines. Yeah. And that was just such so enjoyable to watch. Well, I, it's nice that you were there as a sixth grader, you know, running in the herd with – with that group, I mean, that was majority of them were seventh and eighth graders. You know, were there any other sixth graders in that? No, group? I don't. I, I don't remember there there being any. Yeah. But I, I remember also I had to go after her, and that that was not <laughs> a great experience because everyone everyone loved that speech. But yeah, I really enjoyed it. All right, question number four: How do you explain forensics to someone unfamiliar with it? I generally try not to explain forensics to someone unfamiliar with it. Because they'd like to tease me about, you know, how I do speech. Do you get made fun of because of it? I get made fun of a lot. Um, the the kids in my class um, say that I have a, like, whenever we have a group presentation, they say I have a speaking voice. And a lot of my friends who do speech and debate who are in my class, like Sherlin and Christy, they have a speaking voice. Like, it, it's obvious they have a speech voice. And I'm sure it's obvious that I have a speech voice. And everyone's like, when, when, when I pass by them, everyone, like, makes these, like, annoying mock gestures, like, as if <laughs> I'm making the hand gestures. Um, but when I experience forens- uh, when I explain forensics, I, I try to do it as, as similar to you as I can because I think you experience I think you explain speech and debate so well, and in such a concise period of time, like in one class, you can get their introductions. So I try I try to start off with like a lot of the things that you say, like debate debate is a game uh-huh. and whatnot, and there are three kinds of speech, and I, I like to I like to describe some of my experiences and my stories that could really help them improve. Oh, that's nice. Thanks, bud. Thanks for saying that. <laughs> All right, question number five. What was your most unusual inspiration for a speech? <laughs> this is going to sound really weird, but I, I was just thinking of it, and my most unusual um, inspiration for a speech was I, was I was literally out with my friends, and I mentioned this earlier, I think, but I was literally out with my friends, and we, it was someone's birthday, and we went to this mini golf course. 
right? And, and you know, there's like hole one to hole 18, and like the clubs are, you know, these little things, and the, the course is really tiny. And I remember we had a lot of fun. What well, is mini golf? Yeah, it. it <laughs> <laughs> I guess the name implies, but um, I, I remember that specifically, and and just like the golf experience in general. And we we talked about. Uh, we was, I think this kid made a joke about how golf courses are huge and they're taking over like a bunch of land or whatever, and and that actually stuck with me. So I went home and and researched it, and that was actually my nationals OO topic, which was about golf courses and how it's taking up a lot of land. And that's pretty crazy. That's a that's a really weird inspiration. And that one joke he made just stuck with me. That's really interesting. Did you use the joke in the speech? I did. I did. That was like my my introduction. Like that was my attention <laughs> that's getter. Your attention getter? Like, yeah. What takes up the most land? Golf courses. So yeah, that I, I, I wanted to give him credit for that. So that was that's nice. Question number six: Has a speech ever caused you to change? Has a speech I gave or a speech uh, I heard? has a speech ever caused you to change? One of the speeches that I think really, really inspired me to do something different was um, I remember watching the speech where this guy just it, it was so creative. He ended up he 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 did end up losing because the judge was like like a strict judge, but it was really creative. He was not in his suit. He had like jeans and a white t-shirt, like a tank top. Okay. And he just sat down for like half a speech and he gave a speech sitting down. And then I remember like he, he just, he he literally just like did not get up. The judge was like, you want to go perform over there? And he's like, oh, do you mind if I do it here? And the judge was like, no, that's fine. You could do whatever you want. And he just sat there and it was about being different. His speech was about, you know, in such a meticulous world, you have to stand out and let your voice be heard. And it was such a powerful speech, and it made me want to do something different. It huh. made me want to have that one thing that separates my speech from, you know, others. Like whether whether I stand up on a chair in the middle or whatever. Like so, something different that makes me unique and memorable, and that just changed me as as a person. Even where I na- nowadays I'm trying to stand out more. I'm trying to you know make my voice be heard and be unique. And that speech just I've heard it before. Like we've all heard that before. Which is be different. But he did it in such a nice and beautiful way that it just made me change a lot. Do you feel like he went too far with it? I mean, how, how, was he successful with the speech ultimately? I, I'm not sure that was the point. Yeah. I, I think Maybe the not point, to win, but just to right. influence. I think the point was to go too far with it. The mm. point was to be memorable and have people talking about it, even to this day. That was like one, two, one and a half years ago. And I, I just think that was such a smart, uh, and that deserved, if I was a judge, I would just like clap that up. That is such a smart <laughs> idea and that's the kind of thing i like to see in speech which is innovative ideas and new things so that changed me to you know kind of steer away from the formatted things all right question number seven what did you do with your awards uh i actually still have them we 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 moved the other day my mom and i yeah we moved and she 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 made a joke she said the hardest thing was moving my awards (laughs) not the bed not the you know not anything else it was just moving the so many trophies that have racked up over so many years of speech. My mom likes to save all of them. And I, I like to decorate them. So like, like arrange them in like lowest, like smallest to like highest. And um, the state tournament you ran, um, the belts that you had, the belts that you gave, that, that was the big really, wrestling belt. Yeah, 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 that was really cool. And I like to like wrap that around like some of my trophies and everything. And I like to kind of decorate it in that sense. And each one tells a unique story. Right. Sure. So I like to sometimes when I'm bored, I like to go through and pick up a trophy and read it and remember the tournament. And I sometimes like to do that because it just brings back so many memories of how long I've been doing this event and how much I love it and how much I've hated it at certain times. 
and it's it's just a really fun thing that I do sometimes. So yeah, that's great. Question number eight: What speech skill do you use most often in your day to day life? I would think that a speech skill that I've learned over you know many years of doing speech is just learning to adapt to things. Because we're so distracted in, in our world, right? Whatever we do, we get distracted easily. And I think one of the things I've learned in speech is to not get distracted, is to just keep doing what you're doing. I, I remember you had the shake test uh, mm-hmm. thing that you made, and um, my friends and I would do that Before all the time. Before nationals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, was, it was so fun because I would have to give an impromptu, and they would do everything to try to get me to slip up, right? Like pour water on me. You know, push me, shove me, <laughs> everything. And my, my friends are pretty creative, so they did a lot of weird things to me. But that kind of, you know, being able to just stick to that goal, stick to what you're doing, um, I, I like to apply that a lot in my everyday life where I, I try not to get distracted by simplistic things. And I try to just keep at what I'm doing and just keep doing me. And I think I apply that in my life a, a lot because that's one of the most important skills I've learned. And I think that's the one I've tried to develop the most, which is, adapt to your surroundings, right? Um, be improvise. And I think that just comes from doing a lot of speech and going to a lot of tournaments. That's nice. Question number nine. I'm, I'm curious <laughs> yeah, to hear this, no. <laughs> this question because we kind of talked about it already. Why didn't you quit? I, I ended up just, I, I had to go back to speech. I, I remember my, I, I was, I remember this one specific debate class actually. And I, I had a really rough, debate class I had, I had a really rough time that time and I, I remember going home in the car and I was just I was just crying my eyes out and my mom I had to like a lot I was of like, tears spilt I, with speech and debate <laughs> it, there are and um I, I was just explaining to my mom like well, what happened and she was like you know you could you could quit for a while if you want right and that idea kind of ap- appealed to me then but I think what really led me to go back was I, I, this is kind of this is kind of depressing, but I had nothing other than I had nothing <laughs> in my life that I was doing that was interesting, other than speech and debate, and that community was just where I belonged. Sure. And all my friends were just were there, and they were like, "Come back, like right, like are, are you gonna go to these speech tournaments?" And it was just like an innocent question, but it kept making me think about how sad my life is and how <laughs> empty it is without speech. So I think that's ultimately why I came back to the community, and I'm enjoying it. That's so. good. All right. And finally, question number 10. What was the best advice you've received about a speech? The best advice that I received from a speech was actually from you. From um, me? Yeah, from you. Uh, I think you give me the most advice on my speeches. I, I finished the speech, and I remember it was like it was just badly prepped and everything, right? And I sat down, and you, 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 just, you just looked at me, and you said, here, can you, can you just redo the speech? You asked me. You gave me all the notes, and you said, go redo your speech. So, so I had to stand up there and give the exact same speech. This was an impromptu? This was, no, this was an original oratory, I okay. think. And you told me to just redo it with all the notes that you had. And I think that really helped me because now I was actively thinking about the notes you gave me and actively thinking, here, I should change that and change, or change this because that's what he told me to do. And I think that's just really helpful for me in general just because the doing a speech over and over again with notes – is just that's how you improve, right? And the advice you gave me, which is just do it again, right? R- record yourself, do it again. It, it doesn't matter how you do it. It's just I think I was able to improve from that a lot just because that's what I do now. I, I give a speech. I, I, try, I try to get notes from people, 
And then I try to do it again immediately after using those notes. And I think that's just how I've come to improve with speeches over time. It's just you do the speech and then you get notes and you try to improve on the speech. And I think that's just one of the most important things in speech is just trying to improve and learning and working with other people and seeing how they can give notes about your experience. I love that the best advice you got was take these notes that I just told you and, and, and do it. it again. No, it's it, it's planned and it's it's something that everyone would probably have heard, but it, it just stuck with me because yeah. I, I just gotten so used to it. Just take it and do it again. Well, I think you're someone who actually absorbs notes, and you know, I I, I don't think your success is. Uh, it's not by accident. It's you hearing the critique and you walk it away going, okay, let me actually fix that and not get that same note the next time. Mm-hmm. You know, you, it, you, I think pride yourself on as to be someone who you only have to be told once to stop doing that thing. And you go, okay, I'm not going to do that anymore. I won't make that mistake anymore. I might make other mistakes, but I won't do that one anymore. It was such a small thing you said, but it just stuck with me. So. <clears throat> well, good. Yeah. I'm glad. Alex, hey man, thanks for coming in, man. It's been uh, it's been great having you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I mean, I really enjoyed this. Yeah, and uh, if people want to find you, where can they find you on Instagram or are you on Twitter? I am not on Twitter. But where uh, where are you on Instagram? I'm on Instagram at Alex underscore the underscore Lee. So <laughs> <laughs> go follow and, that. And I if mean. people want to find us on Instagram uh, or on Twitter, you can find us. Our handle there is at Forensic Podcast. Alex, it's been great having you here and uh, yeah, down here. Thank you. It's been great talking with you. Yeah, man. So until next round, keep talking. And as Alex says, redo it, redo it, redo it. I'm from an actress. Oh, yeah. Cause if you're not somebody Must show you how you got the same